This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, Dan is here to speak to us from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to verse 20. Today's scripture reading is taken from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. Well, welcome to our Sunday online service. For those of you who are new to us, and especially for those of you who are new to the Christian faith or curious about the Christian faith, just checking it out, we welcome you. Wherever you are in your life journey, we're glad that you're here. We, we are a church that really treasures and welcomes people wherever they are to come however they are to experience and hear and sit together and think about the grace of God as it's revealed to us in Jesus. So welcome. Um, this week... We are returning to a series of messages we began before COVID that examines one of the most famous, probably the most famous discourse or speech by Jesus. It's nicknamed the Sermon on the Mount. And so we felt like this week was time to settle into this new kind of normal that we are presently experiencing. And COVID-19 has kind of done that to us, hasn't it? It has changed our lives perhaps forever. Articles are starting to come out now more and more about the fact that there will be long-term effects of this pandemic. The smart money apparently is on the idea that we will never go back to the way we were. Uh, Historically, pandemics have done this to us. They have changed fundamentally the way cultures operate. Some things may return, some things will return quite changed, and some things will never be the same. Now, most people that I know are hoping and thinking it won't be that way. We're waiting for things to pass, like a, like a hurricane in Florida, so we can fix a few windows and resume our normal and former way of lives. But what the cultural commentators are saying to us is, be prepared to be like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. We can't go back to Kansas anymore. It's nice to miss the Shire, but the ring has been revealed and Sauron has returned and things will not be the way they once were. So, if this is so, if it is in fact a transition time to a new normal, what um, cultural commentators call a liminal moment, that time of transition between two fairly different eras, then we want, we long for some understanding of what the new normal will be and how to go forward during the new times. And if you're feeling that way, Welcome to the moment that we're looking at here, the Sermon on the Mount, because in this sermon, Jesus is actually speaking about him ushering in a new normal, being the one who ushers in a whole new era. He is giving to whomever will hear a a kind of paradigm-shaping, new normal understanding, foundational wisdom that we need to hear to move forward. 
Now, the vast majority of the people listening to Jesus are like the vast majority of the people here now. We have no idea whether or not a history-changing moment is upon us. They didn't either. Even Jesus' followers didn't really get that. So here, in this short passage, Jesus gives us fair warning that the greatest moment of transition in world history is being ushered in, and he is the one who's doing it. Two things, then, we'll look at from this passage. Firstly, Jesus is the one who ushers in the new era. And secondly, Jesus is the one who architects a new normal. Jesus, by his works, his life, death, and resurrection, ushers in a new era. He comes to fulfill. And Jesus is the one who now gets to architect a new normal by who he is. Okay, let's look at it now. He ushers in, firstly, a new era by what he's done. Look at verses 17 to 18 that have already been read to you. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Surely, truly, excuse me, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In this first part of this small passage, Jesus uses the language of fulfillment and accomplishment. Something historical is happening, has been happening, and now is coming to a kind of fulfillment or consummation. And Jesus says, I am the one who is doing it. Now, what is being fulfilled? Jesus says the law and the prophets. What does he mean by law and prophets? The law, the Hebrew word here is Torah. It refers to the first five books of our Bible, which were written by Moses. The prophets were often a slang for the rest of the Old Testament. And so when you hear law and prophets, scholars know this is usually kind of a slang meaning of the whole of the the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament. But what Jesus may be, and I think scholars who say this are right, what Jesus may be referring to is actually the way the the rest of the Old Testament Testament interprets and helps us understand the first five books, the Torah, the books that Moses wrote uh, in his lifetime. Now here we we need to stop and just reflect together for a moment. Because when modern people hear the word law, we generally think a bunch of written documents that govern our social and commercial life, fairly precise, needing to be looked at, sometimes needing legal interpretation. Or we think of court scenes, Judge Judy, or if you're more of a social media fan, Judge Caprio in Rhode Island. You know, the law is this set of documents, impartial, mechanical, impersonal, hopefully fair, detailed, requiring almost surgical precision of interpretation. And in that culture... In that day, where the Pharisees acted and treated the law in that way, that was a dominant way of understanding the law. How many herbs should I tie? What what exactly can I do and not do on the Sabbath? They had reduced it to that kind of impartial, impersonal, mechanical, precise way of thinking about law. But when Jesus uses the word law, that's not what we think he means. He means Torah. And in the first five books of Moses, Torah is a story. It's the story of Israel, from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, and the miracles of deliverance from from famine in Palestine with Joseph, who resettled them in Egypt and allowed the nation to survive, and then God's kindness and grace in delivering them 
when they fell into slavery in Egypt, and providing miracles to let them escape. The miracle of the Red Sea, the miracle of the food in the desert and the water in the desert for 40 years. Oh, yes, it includes the covenants that that were written down, the covenant made for the period of desert wandering. That's the book of Leviticus. The covenant made for entry into and life in the land. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, it includes written documentation, the Ten Commandments. But it's the story of what God's doing through them, as well as the commandments and as well the sacrificial system, the the system and architecture of grace, where God promises to forgive their sins. If they would come to Him in repentance, and a priest would come and give sacrifices and allow substitutionary offerings for their sin and their wrong. So law here, as Jesus is describing, it's not a bunch of documents, it's not court scenes. It's a story. It's a love story between God and Israel, between a gracious and holy and faithful and kind God and a proud, self-dependent, willful, even adulterous people, the people of Israel. So it's a marriage story, really, between God and a portion of humanity. And, And all marriages, they have their covenant commitments. I said I do. I said I will cherish and honor Sue. There were vows, expectations, and roles and responses to help the relationship flourish. But that document and those vows are not the whole story. Law is Torah, the story. Prophets. Prophets just picks up that story, the story of God and Israel after Moses dies, the story of Israel in the land and developing the monarchy and and, and the full flourishing of Israel in those early moments of monarchy when, when David was the king. And the king ruled according to God's ways. And David listened to prophets. Nathan, for example, a prophet who told the king how to interpret God's abiding ways to the precise moment they lived in. And then, of course, there was the high priest who, who made sure the pure sacrifices of repentance and forgiveness were done. Prophet, priest, king, these three, they were part of how Israel was architected in that day. But they all broke down. Uh, that normal, the normal of Israel in the land broke down. And, and a bad new normal broke out. Kings began to be oppressive and self-seeking. Prophets, there began to be false prophets who prophesied the wrong things and allowed Israel to, to go her own way and forget God and even worship other gods. And priests would start taking money and, and, and using the sacrificial system for self-enrichment. Israel made a mess of this marriage relationship and wandered away from God and committed a kind of adultery, spiritual adultery. And soon the monarchy broke down, civil war broke out, Israel became a mess, became two countries, and the prophets began to speak. God's godly prophets began to predict a coming day, a day of fulfillment, when one day God would send into humanity a final godly king, God would come and win his people back through a king of justice and love. Isaiah, we'll use Isaiah as one of the representative prophets. He's one of the most robust. In Isaiah 9, he predicted this. He actually said something would happen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
divine. Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it in justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. A final eternal king will come to Israel from the human line of David, who is himself God, to establish a final kingdom. One day, a final king. The prophets also said, one day, a final high priest would come. Isaiah, again, we'll stick with him, said this in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs, this final priest, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the wrong, the iniquity of us all. He's the final priest. You see, Jesus is that final king. The God who would become human. To fulfill the whole trajectory, the whole promise of God to create a kingdom. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, The Jesus in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Reflecting back on the cross, Paul can say that promise of Isaiah was fulfilled. The mighty God, the counselor who would have an everlasting kingdom was fulfilled in Jesus, in his dying and rising. And the writer of Hebrews could say about Jesus, reflecting back after his death and resurrection, we have such a high priest, a final high priest. So we see that a new normal is arriving in Jesus. Here, he's not yet gone to the cross, but he's He is saying, I am about to fulfill and accomplish all that Torah was promising. I have come down, Almighty God, to become human, so that as a human, I in my life can be your substitute. I can substitute my perfect life for your imperfect sinful one and for that of every human who comes to me. I can take the burden of all the sins of all the people throughout all of history and I can pay that infinite price. I can bear that infinite moral weight of guilt and wrong. Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death, and the free gift, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But here's the thing that they didn't get and couldn't quite get. And that is that Jesus wasn't doing it for the people of Israel. He wasn't the final king just of Israel. He was the final king for the whole world. He wasn't the final priest just for the people of Israel. He was the final priest for every person who would believe in him around the whole world. John 3.16, John finally realized it when he wrote these words after Jesus had died and risen again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever lasting life. Fulfill the law, Torah, the love story of God he did by going to the cross for us and allowing himself to be crucified, by allowing himself to be nailed to two pieces of wood 
the two alienated entities, God and humanity, could be brought back together, and that the marriage plan between God and humanity, broken by our own sin and spiritual adultery, could be fully and finally reconciled and consummated so that you and I, not just the Jewish people, could feel the redeeming love, the love that Israel could hardly imagine. He's the king of the entire world because he's the priest who gave himself as the sacrifice for the whole world. So now the entire world is welcomed into this Torah, this story of God's love, his marrying love of grace and forgiveness. Now, Jesus, who precisely because he's ushering in this new normal, is being accused by the cultural elites of the old normal of somehow being against the whole story, the whole purposes of God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't understand Torah. You've missed the whole point of Torah. I'm not here to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it. For Torah was always about God's redeeming love for all of humanity. David as king was merely a type pointing to me. The high priests in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, doing those sacrifices were pointing to the final high priest, me. I don't hate the law. I love the law. I wrote the law. I'm God. I became human to live the law so I could deliver the people of God who don't live it, who don't obey it. I dictated those covenant documents and as a human being, I lived them out. The law written on my heart is what I've expressed to you with every breath I've ever taken, joyfully, willingly. I'm the fulfillment of Torah. And in me, you too can be that. He's the fulfillment of all the Torah ever meant. All the prophets told it it should mean and would mean. He came to fulfill Torah by his life, his death, his resurrection, by his works. As the incarnate Son of God, he fulfilled Torah, the law, and what the prophets said God would do. He's the one who ushers in the new normal by fulfilling Torah, the love story between God and humanity. Second, he's the architect of the new normal by who he now is. He says here in the second part of our passage, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches other to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear what he's saying? Something startling to the crowd. He is declaring, I'm not just the final king. I'm the final prophet. I'm the authoritative final prophet who gets to, for this season, this present moment and all the moments going forward for the new normal what Torah is and how it applies to you and to me and to our situation here the final prophet architects for us the new normal you remember that Israel had had their commands for that season of life being in the desert Leviticus they had that that covenant Torah document for the season of life in the land Deuteronomy, here in the Sermon on the Mount, we have the the law, the abiding law in its fulfilled 
Jesus ushered in interpretive finality, the new normal, the new way to understand Torah. I am the final prophet, the one Moses was pointing to. I give the Torah for this period, this new normal. And so he gives us three applications arising out of the new normal when the final king has arrived and begun to usher in his kingdom, when the final priest has fully fulfilled the covenant obligations. So does the law abide? Yes. But in a new era, in a new way, this thing that the, that the gospel will call the last stage of human history, the, the last days, Jesus says this, Firstly, change your way of seeing the law. We're not supposed to relax the commandments, but joyfully obey them and teach others to do so. Now, it's hard for us to do that, actually, because people back then, like people now, primarily viewed the law in two different ways. Firstly, the law is a restriction on my personal freedom. And so... Maybe out of duty I do it, but there's a bit of resentment there as well. Secondly, the law is a way to show my moral worth. So if I do the law, I do it out of pride and I look around and judge others who aren't. And by the way, we, we do this. All of us do this. People have said, you know, people who are different look at it differently. No, 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 no. Listen, if, if you're a real progressive You do both of these. You want freedom from old, restrictive laws of an old morality that you feel should not impinge upon you. Say, for example, our traditional laws of personal sexuality. You wanted them overturned. But new laws about environmental sensitivity and intersectionality sensitivity, you want those new laws enforced. And you want to judge others. Conservatives, old conservatives, maybe religious conservatives, you want to show your moral worth by how we support these, these, these religious restrictions on sexual activity. And you also want freedom from what you think might be politically correct laws about intersectionality or whatever. You see, we use both of them. Even in COVID, we see us using both of them. Five, six weeks ago, we were like, ah, this is too restrictive, what's happening, this lockdown in China. I, I'm not going to do that right now. And now, wait a minute. No, these, these are for human flourishing. There's a good reason why we need this kind of social distancing. So this view of law that we see changes. Restrictive or as, as ways of proving our moral worth, those are inferior ways to see it. And what Jesus wants us to do is change our way of viewing it because Torah is about a marriage relationship between God and human, humanity. And so God's ways, God's commands are the, are the loving spouse saying, this is how you are to love me. I got married to my wife uh, a few years ago. Her primary love language is acts of service. That's the way she feels loved. And when she expressed that to me, I remember one day we were having a New Year's resolution and I asked her, and she's smiling as she's helping me right now, what can I do to make you feel more loved? And she said, make me coffee every morning. You've heard this story before. Was that a law? No, it was an expression of love languages between a covenant relationship. And so what have I done for the, I don't know how long this has been, 18 years or so since she told me? Every morning, with few exceptions, I get up and I make her a cup of coffee as she's coming down the stairs. Now, if you look at the covenant vows, the documents that, that, that I subscribe to, does it say that in them? No. 
but it's a law written on my heart after she has expressed it. And it's a law I've kept ever since she told me that was the new normal. Now that we have kids, how we love each other differs. Sometimes uh, uh, to nourish and cherish Sue means to help with Shayla, to, to pick the kids up, to engage with her schooling, to, to allow Sue to work. These different seasons of life mean the abiding law, Torah, of our relationship has its own adjustments. The law of mutual marriage covenant law abides and in different seasons looks different. We must see it this way. Let's change our view of law. It's not a set of documents. It's this covenantal relationship of mutual love that will have slightly different expressions of abiding principles. And that's what Jesus came to have us do. Change the way we look at law. Secondly, change our way of obeying the law. As I mentioned, the Pharisees, they they were the most religious, the most precise, the most careful. They primarily related to obedience to the law in that in that second way. I'm going to use it to mark my spiritual progress. I'm going to use it to tell you who's more spiritual. I'm going to give you metrics for being able to evaluate who's doing better, who's up the ladder farther than others. And Jesus says to, to us, if our righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear him? Using law as a metric for who's doing better and, and charting your own progress. It's really about you. It's about evaluating me and my progress. It's about judging my spiritual worth. It's basing an architecture of self-effort, self-spirituality, self-spiritual advancement. I'm earning God's approval by what I am doing and not doing. He says we need to exceed it. Does that mean we need to get better at what they're doing? No, 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 no. Uh, here's, a, here's an illustration. I, I, uh, I had an appointment with, with, with one of you at Pizza Libretto. And I, because I knew where you worked, I assumed it was the Pizza Libretto nearest where you work. So I went to the Pizza Libretto, kind of on the west end of downtown, and sat there 15 minutes early feeling really good about I was on time. Only to, after, at about 8 or 10 minutes after our appointed meeting, get a text, where are you? And I'm like, I'm sitting here, where are you? I'm at the Pizza Libretto we agreed to in Midtown because I'm working from home today. Oh, <laughs> I had exceeded them in getting there earlier, but I was going to the wrong place. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus is saying, you're in the wrong destination if you're following the Pharisees. It's never about you. It's never about works. It never was about works. There is a different way of obeying the law, and it's by faith through grace. Firstly, it's the way of grace through faith in Jesus. That's how you enter the law abiding way. It is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Do you want to obey the law? You can't in your own strength. Turn to the one who did obey the law, Jesus Christ, in his life. And then accept his death as the payment for your lack of obeying the law and the substitutionary payment. Go to him in faith and then progress the same way. Sanctification, that big technical word, progress in spirituality, 
is also by faith relying on grace. Ask God's Spirit to come into you because it's the Spirit of Jesus who joyfully and willingly obeyed from the heart. And ask the Spirit to teach you how and to give you the desire to obey God from the heart. It's by the Spirit. Reading the words of Jesus, letting the Spirit stir there the love of those words into you that you actually progress. Because that same verse, Ephesians chapter 2, that talks about it's not of work so that no one may boast, then says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The same way we entered is the same way we move forward. The only way to get into God's kingdom and really be part of God's kingdom is by faith through grace to abide by the law of God, to obey Jesus' commands and the commands of God. Change the way you view law. It's a love relationship. It's Torah. It's a covenant of marriage between you and God. Change the way you try and obey the law. It's not about what you do and how you do it and how you measure. It's about going to Him by faith, trusting His grace, growing deeper in His grace, trusting it more. Change the way you obey the law. Finally, change the way you see yourself. We're no longer primarily citizens of any particular country anymore. We're citizens of a new nation, a new kingdom, if you will. And we're under the reign and rule of this final king. To enter a kingdom means to submit to the rule of the king. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're now primarily not Canadian citizens or Toronto citizens. Our primary identity, citizenship, allegiance, is to the citizenship we've been transferred into. The citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is the one who rules us and guides us and reigns in our hearts and life. We obey this king, as we said, out of gratitude and love because of his grace, by faith, leaning on his spirit, relying upon that spirit for guidance and power, reading his word to understand what to do. But we're his citizens. We bear witness to his kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ, says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We live under His reign and His rule. And we go out into this city, into our culture, and we express His kingdom values to a culture that doesn't know this new normal. Because whether we exchange the pre-COVID new normal, old normal, for a post-COVID new normal, neither one of them is the King's coming normal, where peace and righteousness and grace reign. Where loving your enemies is the way to treat others. Where treating everyone as your neighbor and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the new, new, new normal. That trumps any new normal our culture itself will create. A couple of quick applications. If you're here and you're curious about Christianity, this has been a long and technical dive into an understanding of who Jesus is. But I want you to hear this. And just hear this, the whole story of God's relationship with humanity is not of an angry God giving laws and being angry with us, but of a loving, redeeming suitor who has come to redeem his beloved. It's not about the rise of civilization and the fall. It's not about the survival of the fittest. It's about the love story between God and us, between God and you. 
That's what lies behind all the events of history, and that is what lies behind you and why you are here. This unlocks the meaning of you and your life. You were made for a covenant relationship with God, a God of grace who has pursued you and from all eternity thought of you and sent His Son to die for such as you, and it could be for you. If you will simply put your faith in Him and enter into the actual normal you were always made to be, because God's final normal is God's first normal, created to live in intimate communion with God. And if you're here and you have made that step, you have accepted Christ and His reign in your life and His forgiveness for your life, rejoice. The final normal you will ultimately inherit is the first normal you were originally made for, intimate communion with God, and it is yours. And perfect communion with God in a perfect reality that you will rise to one day. The first normal will be the final normal. And every normal we go into now calls us to express the beauty of the final normal to whatever normal we inhabit. Let God's Spirit make you rejoice about that truth and let God's Spirit let you reflect that to the world. We will now inhabit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the joy that Jesus came to fulfill all of history and unite it into himself, as Ephesians chapter 1 says. And he is now reigning and ruling as the high priest who is also praying and as the final prophet who is also guiding, who's given us his spirit that we may live out the words of the final law, the final Torah in its final chapter. And help us to understand that. To understand that we were always created to live in intimate union and communion with you. And that Jesus came to purchase and accomplish that communion. That the Spirit has come and applied that to our lives. And our inheritance will be that communion. And I pray that in light of that knowledge, those of us who don't have it yet would enter into that story of love and marriage to you. And those of us who have will rejoice and allow the power and the hope and the gratitude and the love to empower us to reflect the final new normal, the beautiful real normal, to whatever normal we encounter and inhabit. For Jesus' sake, amen.